So my hope is, is that through like, just real practical tips, people can have a shift in perspective and make their last bad day whatever last bad day they want it to be and living life with more purpose and more gratitude and hopefully more connection with those around them. This is your Badass Journey podcast. I am Karine Walsh, serial entrepreneur, growth strategist, executive leadership coach, and best-selling author. Each week, I will bring you a guest or a thought that will help you align what you love with what you do in order to build that badass life and business you dream of. Welcome everybody to today's conversation on your Badass Journey podcast. My guest is Michael O'Brien. He's the chief shift officer at Peloton Coaching and Consulting. He elevates successful corporate leaders by preventing bad moments from turning into bad days. His award-winning best-selling memoir, Shift, Creating Better Tomorrows, chronicles his last bad day and near-death cycling accident recovery journey. He has shared his inspiration story and transformation from human doing to becoming a human being on the TEDx stage with multiple Fortune 500 companies and countless podcasts. When Michael and I initiated this conversation today, it really was amazing to to, to connect with a like-minded person, but really truly to hear his journey on how he had to face the life that he was in post-accident. Imagine being on a business trip and you get into an accident that debilitates you. I mean, really, you're bedridden for months before you can even return home and start the healing process and navigate what happens next with your career, what happens next with your family life, what happens next to build the financial support you need in your family. So uh, what I love is that he, on his journey, turned into building his own coaching and consulting practice and literally lives a life of impact. So I know you're going to enjoy our conversation today. But he also shares some tips on how to make sure you're not turning your bad days into a lifetime of bad. (laughs) Right? We're all about that progression. And I know you're going to enjoy today's conversation. So of course, we would love to hear from you. Make sure you subscribe and review this podcast, share it with your community so more listeners have access to it. And of course, I love to hear from you. So send us your comments, post a picture of the episode on Instagram, any interaction you feel most comfortable with, we would love to see because it helps other listeners get access to these conversations and have their own aha moments, their own method of transformation just by listening. So if you're benefiting, which I know you will, please make sure you share. It means a lot to me and I really appreciate you listening today. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome everybody to today's episode. I have Michael O'Brien with me. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Corrine. How you doing? I'm so great. I love that we are like East Coast in the house. Yes, <laughs> East Coast, <laughs> Metropolitan New York, right? So, so excited to share it. it. Yeah. I know. I, you know, it's so easy to come in and out of the city and, and have that gen- generated energy. Um, and what's so great about 
now being back on the East Coast for me and being able to expand my network, meet such aligned, amazing coach consultants like yourself. I'm so excited to share you with our, uh, my listeners. And as I like to kick off the call or this this interview is is really for you to share in your own words your badass journey to date and and truly if it, if you want to take it however far back you want to go but I would love for you to also touch upon that la- uh, the last bad day and how that has created the business and the world you live in today very cool well so my badass journey includes as you mentioned my last bad day so uh, so I, I guess I'll, I'll take people back then that time frame so that was July 11th, 2001. And if you had met me prior to, I was sort of living what I thought was the, well, the American dream in, in a lot of ways, or at least I was following the script that I thought society wanted me to live by, right? I went to, you know, I worked hard in high school. I didn't work my ass off, but I worked hard enough to go to college. And I thought, okay, you go to college, you get a degree, you get a gig, Maybe you meet someone, you get married, have a family, buy a house, work your way up the corporate ladder. And I was doing all that pretty well. And here I was, you know, 33. We had just moved from Washington, D.C. up to New Jersey a couple years uh, prior. We had two young daughters. Uh, Elle was three and a half. Grady was seven months old. Uh, Lynn and I had been married seven years. And I went off to New Mexico in July for a company offsite meeting. So here's the warning. If your company ever has an offsite in New Mexico in July, be very scared. So, or, or, or be very grateful that they're being financially responsible. So, uh, so we went out there and I brought my bike out because I was an avid cyclist and I wanted to cross New Mexico off the States. I had ridden my bike and I thought I was going to be the smart one. I was going to, you know, like, you know, avoid the hotel gym. Uh, do all that stuff before they try to torture you with PowerPoint in between like the Monday and the Friday, you know, the departure day. And on that morning of July 11th, I came around the bend of a two mile loop that I had carved out, out the hotel, back and up the main drag. And right there coming at me going about 40 miles an hour was an SUV, a white SUV fully in my lane. I had nowhere to go. And I remember the sound of me hitting his grill the sound of me going into his windshield and breaking a hole through it, which is like really like nearly impossible. And then the screech of his brakes. And then the thought I made as I came to the asphalt below. And that knocked me unconscious. And when the EMTs finally came and started working on me, I regained my consciousness. And then I asked them the question that only another cyclist can really appreciate. I asked them, well, how's my bike? And they looked at me and they sort of shook their head and it was my effort to sort of cut the tension in the in, in the room or the tension outside with a little humor because I knew like my life was in balance. Like I was in a whole bunch of like um, a bad shitty situation because just the thought of moving was the worst pain cream that, that I ever felt in my life. And, and I just remember just willing myself not to fall asleep because I thought if I fell asleep, I'd lose all control. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and at that moment, then, as you're the EMTs are 
trying to revive you and put you on a stretcher. And then you're in New Mexico. You're not even near your home. You're at a distance. So what was what was that like, the, the moments after or the weeks? How, how long were you in New Mexico? What happened next? Well, we talked about like East Coast. So East Coast bias versus like West Coast, you know, West Coast bias. And oh, well, we'll put New Mexico out there. So because of all the chaos of the event, many, th- many people thought I was in Mexico. Right. You know, it's like, no, New Mexico, it's one of our states. Right. And so the people out here were like, New Mexico, like, do they even have hospitals out there? Like, you know, this is very like New York centric. You <laughs> it's know. so New York. I have to tell you, just to interject because I'm cracking up. Literally, when my company, I worked for a company in my 20s and, and I was here in New York and it was New York, San Francisco, I called myself a bi coastal bitch, like, because that's <laughs> all I knew. Right. And then when they called me to say, we need you in Colorado, I was like, where the F is Colorado? Yeah. Like, I, and I've lived there now multiple times, but it was hilarious what you're talking about, about the coastal bias and just understand it. You have no idea what's in the middle of the country. So I love that that was some of the response you got. Okay. So you're in New Mexico. People yeah. are trying to figure out where you are, what to do next. And people weren't really wanting me to come back to like re- quote unquote real hospitals, right? To New York. And so I was out there for a few weeks before they flew me back. And really the, the thing that dr- I wasn't ready to come back because I, you know, what what had happened is when I got onto that helicopter, I promised myself that if I live, I would change how I was living my life because part of what I was doing before living that script that I thought society want, wanted me to live is I was pouring a whole bunch of stress inside of me, and in a lot of ways, I was chasing happiness. So the commitment I made as they put me onto the helicopter was like, okay, Michael, if you live, and that was definitely in question life is going to be different. You're going to stop chasing happiness. And I got flown to the University of New Mexico at Albuquerque. First surgery took about 10 hours. I needed 34 units of uh, blood because the left femur shattered. I broke a whole bunch of everything in my body, but the left femur shattered and it lacerated the femoral artery of my left leg. So in, in essence, I was bleeding out in the middle of nowhere. The doctors had told my wife, had I been 10 years older or not healthy, I would have died before I even got to the hospital. So after an extended stay in the ICU, where I recommended to my wife, which I do not remember, that we'd buy Amazon stock, which was trading for $15 a share back then, and we never bought it. But we are still married to this day. I have forgiven her on that. But I, so I started learning about like what had happened. The driver had a revoked license. In a lot of ways, he should not have been driving. Like, in like many ways, he should not have been driving. The whole thing should not have happened. And instead of being like, okay, I'm going to stop chasing happiness, I went really dark and I was revengeful. I thought, man, he harmed me. I will harm him an eye for an eye. And in the whole spirit, like we go where our eyes go. The doctors painted this picture of, hey, you're going to have a tough life ahead. Like people with these injuries, they do not get back on their bike. They don't go back to normal. And you're going to have more surgery, pain and suffering, dependency, limitation, and now here I am like, well, who am I going to be? Like, I thought I was living the script. And I'm like, this is what you do. And all of a sudden, this, this bad experience happens. And I'm like, well, if I can't be that, even though I was a stress puppy inside, like, who, who the hell am I going to be now? And I stayed in that funk. And they finally flew me out to New Jersey. They put me into 
Hackensack, which is one of the hospitals here in New Jersey, had another surgery for a whole bunch of skin graft operations. And then they took me to Kessler's Institute for Rehabilitation, where they took the original Superman, uh, Christopher Reeves, after he had his equestrian accident. And then I started working on my rehab. And, and then that was, that was the place where I finally had like my shift in my mindset. I'm curious in that, so you went through a body healing standpoint, right? Like from desolate, not sure what your body was going to go through, right? And rehab, et cetera. Like they have a lot of, when it comes to medical practices, a lot of care and knowledge in that realm of rehabilitation. But there's also the inner work that we go through when we're dealing with immense pain, when we have drugs running through our body to help us not only heal and lower inflammation, but also make us a little high as a side effect. You know, like we go into another state of mind and then um, realize like things are actually progressing. What was the shift for you or when did you start to focus on that mindset? And had you done the work prior to this accident that gave you any sort of foundation? I'm really curious, like, was this all an aha moment through this, this recovery process from the accident that now has uh, aligned you for who you are today and how you help and serve others? Well, so I didn't like do any type of inner work before my accident. I, to be honest, Kareen, I didn't even know inner work was a possibility before my accident. So this, uh, keep in mind, this is 2001. This is before smartphones and Brene Brown. And yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, we, we weren't talking about vulnerability or gratitude or compassion or courage or any of that. Right? As commonly as we do now, yeah. yeah. Like today, we're like, oh yeah, this is, a, this is a common way we talk. It's part of our vernacular, right? But back then, we didn't talk about that. Like meditation and yoga, well, that was only something that people who ate grape nuts do, right? So that was like woo-woo and hippy-dippy. And now it's like, oh yeah, like I got my Lulu on and I'm, I'm rocking it, right? So... <laughs> You know, back then it was like, no way. And, and a guy to do it, for, forget about it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really do any of that. Now, the one thing that did happen is that six months prior to my accident, we hired an executive coach to help us with our co-promotion with another healthcare company. And this guy's name is David Kolb. He's my mentor today. And he was the first person I knew who was an executive coach. I didn't even know that was a profession back then. And he had this great practical but crunchy Portland, Maine type of vibe. And I was like, wow, that guy's pretty, that guy's pretty cool. The, the thing is, is that when I was in the ICU, after I got done telling my wife, hey, we should buy Amazon stock, I also told her, hey, go find David. He'll show us the way. And when I came out of the ICU, she was like, who's David? And I was like, I was, I was angry. I was like, why are you asking me about that? Because I would never talk about work at home. Right. And she was like, you kept on repeating his name. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, really? Like, like yeah. of all the names I could be repeating, like, why that guy? And so I knew, like, he had planted some seeds around the importance of, like, leading from the inside out, which I wasn't doing back then. So... I, I believe I had all these like micro events that led to like my, my big aha during a rehab session where I realized like, hey, you're not really making as much progress in your rehabilitation health as you could or should. Because I really wanted to get home and they weren't going to let me get home until I was like at least somewhat decent enough to get home. And so 
it just came to me like, I got to get my mind right if I'm going to get my body right. And the whole concept like, hey, we can worry ourselves sick, but why can't we think ourselves well? And I used some of the magic, magic seeds that David gave me. And I just started, I really just started t- trusting my gut or my intuition, but I didn't call it intuition back then. I didn't even know what to call it back then. I was just like, you know what? I just need to get my mind right. And I knew enough about mindset through athletics. I needed, I knew I needed to have some quiet time and some intentionality. Again, I didn't call it intentionality, but I just, I, I go, I needed to like set up my day well to, to get my body right. And I realized that if I didn't get my mind right, there was no way I was going to get as healthy as I could, as I should, as I wanted to be, to be really the best husband and father. I wanted to become the best version of who I wanted to become and to let go of all the comparisonitis I was doing, all the comparison to like how much money I was making or what my car was and my title and all that jazz. You know, it gets, it's all outward. Yeah. Like I was certainly like living that outward lifestyle. Like what, what, did, what did people have? What did I have? And, you know, when we moved from New Jersey, or sorry, DC to New Jersey, we were doing fairly well as a dual income couple in DC, we were doing fairly well compared to a lot of our friends. We moved to New Jersey in into an expensive town in an expensive County. And my wife decided to stay. We decided that she would stay home with the kids and it would be my salary. And all of a sudden we went from like, Hey, we're doing pretty good to dang, we suck. Right. At least that was the story in my head. Like, golly, like everyone around me seems to have everything that's nicer than what I have. And man, that that produces a lot of chasing of happiness. Like, I'll be happy when I get that new car. I'll be happy when I get that promotion. And, you know, I had a lot of that external orientation until that big aha where I was like, hey, I got to look within if I'm going to get right. If I'm going to get my mind right and my body right. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing part of the journey when you're trying to raise your level of fulfillment. You have to look inward because that's the only thing you truly control is what's going on in your mind. And I think a lot of us uh, chase that outward lifestyle that you're talking about because it's all we were taught to focus on. I, I have a lot of uh, guests that have come on and they said, you know, until actually like Oprah went on TV and started sharing that there's more than just the doing and the achieving in an outward comparison model. It's it. We're all suffering in some way. And these are the different modalities in which we suffer. And here are the tools to, to strive uh, for something that you truly desire and raise that level of fulfillment. And so understanding your journey and what you went through, and I, I can only imagine the impact it had on your relationships, what happened with your work life. Like what was next then in your career as you started to heal? Did you still have that job? Were you on disability? <laughs> like what were the next steps that then got you to the business that you're running today? Yeah, it's a great question. So I was on short-term disability and then they they sort of kicked me out of Kessler mainly because of, of insurance. Yeah. So they're like, "Okay, you're you're good enough and we're going to send you home." But I wasn't like I wanted to go home, but I wasn't ready to go home. Like, you know, preparing to go to the shower was like you know, a two hour ordeal, right? So it, was, right. it like everything was difficult because I just didn't have the type of functioning that I, I really wanted to like go back to my job. But eventually I did go to back to my job 
three days a week part-time. They kept, they kept my job open. So at the time, I was the marketing director for our company's biggest drug. And so there was a lot of pressure in that job. Mm-hmm. I, I would often say that if we sneeze, the whole company caught the flu because if we missed our number, the whole company missed it. Yeah, it's a trickle effect. It's a lot of responsibility in that role, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And from strategy through execution. And so I was going back to work part-time, but I was also doing my rehab the rest of the time, mm. still doing outpatient therapy. And so I was working on that and working on my job. And then the following year, after a few more surgeries, they came to me and said, hey, we want you to do this other role. And at first I was like, I don't want to do that other role. Like, you know, my, my current job is like rock star status, right? Yeah. Your ego was attached to it. Yeah. yeah. So, so my big shift was not a light switch by any means. It was a, hey, aha, like there is a different script I can write. And it w- certainly wasn't linear. There were a few steps forward and a step backwards. So these moments where it's like, hello, ego. And that was a chance for me to take a breath and reflect. And so I took that role and that role gave me a fresh perspective on our business. It was a great career move. But it also gave me a chance not to, you know, to minimize my travel, which then allowed me to spend more time at home, more time working in my rehab and my health. And in a lot of ways, I resisted that job because of ego. But that became one of my best jobs. And I do feel it's, it was like catalyst to the executive suite a few years later. And then, so how long were you with that firm before you've now gone out on your own? So to practice. Yeah. So after I told my wife, hey, go find David, I knew I'd get into this work eventually. It just took 13 years of watering that seed before it, you know, it was ready to, you know, to be harvested, the fruit off the tree. So in 2014, I left that firm. I had set up all the conditions. Like what I was working on was sort of building my credibility, working my way up to the executive suite but also clearly understanding like what are the values I want to honor at this phase of my life. And when I couldn't honor those anymore at that company, I knew it was going to be time for me to leave. So in 2014, the company went through another change. I got a new boss, you know, at that level, you know, things changed pretty quickly and I knew I couldn't honor my values anymore under him as my boss. Mm -hmm. And so within 36 hours, my wife and I had a conversation And I was like, you know what? It's been a great run. 18 years was wonderful, but now it's time to start my own business. And with that, that summer of 2014, I started Peloton coaching and consulting. Beautiful. I'm curious when you say you were feeling your values were misaligned, what are your your top three core values? So, So health obviously is no surprise. So I try to wake up every day doing something and doing many things that are going to promote health. I wanted freedom, right? Freedom to, you know, work with the people I wanted to work with, uh, make decisions. I also wanted more kindness. And I felt um, we needed, we just, well, we we needed back then, we need it today. Yeah. Kindness in the world. And I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't fully live that value given how some of the leadership uh, was changing and, and and the values that they wanted to honor it just they were they just wanted to honor different values than I did right and that's totally cool like they can have their jam and I can have my jam and 
And, you know, we left like on great terms. I love my time there, but I, man, I love the time I'm doing now. Right. So it's because I have the freedom, I have greater health. I can put kindness out into the world. I can do my work with integrity where I have alignment between my beliefs and my words and my actions. And the, the fifth one is peace. I just, um, I just want the world to be more peaceful. You know, there's, we've, We've spilled a lot of blood over the course of history, and I think we uh, it's t- time to give peace a chance. Yeah, yeah, and to even bring it in the in the small moments of a one to one exchange, like even in this conversation, right? Like it matters in when you're walking in alignment with the values that you truly believe in, lean into, fuel you. It has an exchange in everyone you come in contact with. And so, you know, I, I know you and I are, are new in connecting and in my book, Lead with Value, it's all about, you know, getting to drive, like to understand your core values and what you lead with, but then also to sit and ask the person across the table, like, what are yours? Because you can find alignment or, or you can find divine separation. Yes. All of them generally have good intent. It's rare that you find like, I value maliciousness, you know, <laughs> like, like I value hate. I value Because the, the, the thing I see and, you know, you and I walk into executive cultures now all the time in our practices. And, and I, wanna, I want to kind of dive into some of that as well, where value systems matter in how everyone shows up every day. And as individuals, we have our own value system, but there's also a value system of the culture you walk into. And I'm curious in the work that you've done now in your coaching and consulting practice, you know, what are the what are the what's the ideal scenario that you love as a challenge to to walk into, whether you're working with a um, a one-on-one executive or in a company with a team of executives? Tell me a little bit about what drives you today and and what you love to impart on people or assist them with? Yes. Oh, so uh, juicy question. This is awesome. So, so I love working with that leader who has, has reached that level, right? And maybe it's the level beyond their original vision for themselves as a graduated college. You know, usually I, I meet them when they're in their 40s and they're at a great level. Things are humming along work-wise. And they're excited about the new possibility, but also on the flip side of that coin, they're like, oh, wow, I need to do a good job. And they can feel the pressure starting to mount because they realize, hey, the next level uh, has a few more devils. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to balance or you know, juggle or whatever analogy you want to use a whole bunch of things at home, maybe with aging parents, at work. So there's a lot of complexity. And, and so, so sometimes I know you also experience the screen is like when you get with some leaders, sometimes we can get so latched onto our own perspective and mm-hmm. sort of feeds our addiction to being right. And we see like, well, this is the only option. And when I sit with them and work with them, what I try to do is sort of open that aperture, if you will, and help them shift their perspective. As I mentioned earlier, like when the doctors told me about my accident, my you know future health status, in that spirit of like, we go where our eyes go, they p- pointed my eyes towards something dark and I went dark. And with my clients, I try to open their eyes up, open their vision up so they can see different possibilities, different ways of leading. 
So yes, there might be more devils at this next level, but there are certainly many more opportunities for them to step into. And some of it's new and some of it's going to feel wonky and choppy, but being there with them in the trenches and seeing them sort of take on some new tools, new approaches and realizing, hey, like I got this and they can also breathe. And that's one of the big things I try to help all my executives do is just breathe more. And I learned that through my recovery. I wasn't really breathing much prior to my accident. But when we can just connect with our breath, slow it down, be more thoughtful, we can make better decisions. And we can also have more energy, not only at work, but have more energy for those at home. I see so many executives burning it, burning all their fuel at work, and they come home with their energy leftovers for you know, to the people that they love the most. And I try to help them like manage their energy better throughout the day. So the people that they love the most get the most out of them as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so critical to take that moment and realize what the top priorities are on where energy needs to be flowing in order to actually receive and build that life you truly desire. And when you were talking about the breathing exercises, I immediately had the visual of our listeners here literally listening as they're potentially like rushing to work right now, right? Like they're on their commute. They're they're not only listening to this, they're toggling through Instagram quickly because they want some pleasure in the moment too. And then maybe they check their email. So some notification comes in and you could rush, 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 rush. And then you end up holding your breath. Yeah. And then there's this peak of like tension that that tension is guaranteed to trickle into every action you take if you do not take a moment to breathe. So as you guys are listening right now, do some deep breaths while you're you're joining us in this conversation and just take a moment for you to realize that what you truly desire matters, what you truly want is possible. You have to figure out the modalities that work best for you to help navigate the how. But breathing helps bring you the clarity, you know? And it's why like in the beginning, you were saying how like meditation and yoga and all this stuff used to be so woo-woo. Now it's as mainstream as all the athleisure wear that everyone's wearing to work these days (laughs) because everyone's trying to be in flow. The posturing of what it means to be successful has changed. And I love that you're shedding the light, Michael, on the landscape of the change and how it affected your life and how you've now built this entrepreneurial life for yourself that aligns with your values because then the impact of that has an amazing ripple effect. And I know that you've you've combined it all into your last bad day shift. Is that's the name of your book? Yes. That's the new one. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. That's super cool. Tell us a little bit about the book and what your hopes for it are. Well my hope is that it really does, the reader, after getting through it, are, are more equipped to prevent bad moments from turning into bad days. Mm. Because I call them the day of my accident, my last bad day. So there was a point in my recovery, I was like, okay, damn it, July 11, 2001 is going to be my last bad day. And I sort of incorporated gratitude into my life. And I realized like, all right, life isn't that bad. We were certainly going to have some bad moments during the course of our day. And last week I had a horrible commute coming out of the city, but I wasn't going to allow it to fester. And so often we let these bad moments, commutes or meetings or 
a text message or a phone call sort of hijack the rest of our day. And all of a sudden we come out of it and we end the day like, oh, that was a really crummy day or that was a bad day. And it doesn't have to be that way when we can be more aware about how we're showing up and our intentionality. So the book really came out of requests from the readers of my memoir. So I came out with my memoir called Shift in 2017. And that really chronicles my last bad day event and my journey forward. And I give the reader 20 ways of being, 20 ways of showing up that I learned along the way. But I never really shared with the readers how to do it. Mm. So a lot of people came to me. It's like, okay, I get it that I should be forgiving or I should be grateful or, you know, be, you know, working on the most important things, all that jazz. But how have you done it? So what I've done in my last bad day shift is create a how-to guide. It's, it's concise, it's practical, things that people can do in the morning, at work, and in the evening, all, all to handle their energy better, also to handle those moments, those bad moments better, so they don't sort of cascade into a bad day. And as a result, they, they can have the energy at work you know, to do everything they have to do to get their career on. But when they come home, they can also have the energy for their personal life or their family life. So my hope is, is that through just real practical tips, people can have a shift in perspective and make their last bad day whatever last bad day they want it to be and living life with more purpose and more gratitude and hopefully more, connect, more connection with those around them. Well, let's give our listeners one of the top tips that you would share. If someone is struggling with the, the transition from work life back home, and knowing that our phones, like we're constantly connected all the time and work is interrupting us all the time, as much as family issues interrupt us when we're at work, what are, what are some, what's one of the tips from your book that you feel is relatable to that desire to want to have a more present lifestyle and, and transition between the different roles we play in life, whether, you know, work, work to home? Yeah, great question. So I'll actually give you like a bonus. I'll give you two. So we just talked about breathing. So one of the things I share, and this is more of a work-related tip, but it works well in the morning and also as we transition, is called grabbing a PBR, which many of the listeners would be like, uh, Pat's Blue Ribbon? Yeah, right. (laughs) Can of beer? Where are we? Colorado? (laughs) Yeah. Although that may be really tempting on the subway ride into work or after work. I'm not talking about Pabst Blue Ribbon because I think life is too short to drink Paps. You know, I'd rather <laughs> drink a better beer. No, uh-huh. the, the, the folks there, Paps Blue Ribbon. But for me, PBR stood for pause, breathe, and reflect. And I think that the moments that we like walk through doors are really great trigger moments to say, hey, let me just pause a bit. Or it can... It can be like when we feel a little percolated, it's just hit the pause button and reconnect with our breath. You know, a simple like box breathing of an inhale for four or six and hold for four or six and exhale. And it just, as you mentioned already, Green, it just gives us a chance to slow down and be a little bit more reflective. And I think that works wonders as we pull into the driveway and we're about to head into the house just to spend a, a minute so we can be intentional about how we want to show up to those people that we love the most. Uh, So that's one is grab a few PBRs during the course of the day. I also recommend in the book 
changing our relationship with our phone. And one way to do that is not to sleep with our phone. Now, I know many people use their phone as their alarm clock. And what I see happening with a lot of my executives, it serves as their alarm clock. And as soon as they wake up, and even before they wipe the sleep out of their eyes, they're checking email, Mm -hmm. which basically is this big invitation to get back on the hamster wheel and framing it frames our day on everything that we missed and everything that we have to do. And we're not even really thinking about how we want to show up in the world today. So I often, in the book, I recommend not sleeping with our phone, keeping it in another room if that's possible, but also just changing that relationship with our phone. So it's, it's away from us, you know, from during periods of time throughout the day. So we don't, we don't feel like we always have to like be in it and turning our notifications off so we're not just getting pinged all the time. So when we're home, we can be present with our family or if we're out with friends, be present with our friends. So we can build that connection because after all, like in today's world, I think we need more belonging. We need more of that connection to really have the success and, and the happiness and, and really the joy that we want in life. Yeah, I think these are really great up-leveling tips, you know, and, and how to shift. I, I also think it, it relates to the, now this whole work at home craze or work from home or work from anywhere. I love that you painted the picture of your PBR at a threshold because it could also make a difference for those who are online entrepreneurs or running their business like you and I do. Sometimes we're working from home where I can easily bleed my work into from my home office, into the kitchen, into the living room. Like It goes into every single room with me because I run a lot through my phone or just move my laptop around. So thank you for giving me the the pillar of a threshold to cross. And I will definitely be leveraging the PBRs for that because it it's critical also for the new behaviors that come from the fact that your work can go anywhere with you. Yeah. You still need to create those boundaries and the habits that protect you in order to perform at your highest level. And so I, I love those tips and... Um, Thank you so much for it. How can people get a copy of your book? Well, the best place is Amazon, the company that we did not buy stock in back in 2000. <laughs> you've forgiven her, but you're not forgetting. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> believe me. Like, like my list is quite short. My my wife was like the rock of my recovery. I am only here today because of her. And my <laughs> list of things are, are quite long. So that she, you know, she's working on forgiving me for it. So. <laughs> Yeah. So you you hold on to the one. Yeah, I, that... just, I, I need at least something. Green. I need, I need something. I need some something to play with. Um, I got you. I got so, you. But yeah, so it's on Amazon. It's a, a Kindle ebook version, a print version, and again, it's it's nice, nice and concise. It's five by seven. It's fifty five pages. Uh, number one release in a in work life uh, balance. Uh, work and stress management, business teams. So just fill with just practical advice. Yeah, that's what I'm all about too. Yeah. I yeah. love that. We'll make sure to put it in our show notes also. So it's the cool. last last bad day shift by Michael O'Brien. So make sure you guys grab your copy. And then as we as we close out, because I know we could talk forever, but I, I want to make sure um, just if people want to connect with you directly, what is the best way that they should connect with you? So you can go to my website, michaelobrienshift.com. There they can 
find all the social media handles. They can Mm -hmm. sign up for my blog. They can even email me there or give me a phone call. So that's the best place to start. MichaelO'BrienShift.com. Awesome. So now with your book out there and your focus and your practice today, what is it that you're, you're really wanting to make happen, whether it's in your career life, home life, physical life, whatever that is? Like, what are you, what are you currently focused on now? So my big focus right now with the release of the book is between July 11th this year and July 11th next year, I want to reach a million people to help them have their last bad day. And so it's a big number, a lot of people. But what I've found through my travels and my speaking is so many people come up to me afterwards and say, you know what? My last bad day was X. And Kareen, when I started hearing all these like wonderful stories, all these like wonderful inspiration of, of people that are just like us, like yeah. they're, not, they're not celebrities, they're not social media influencers. And what I'm working on now is a platform where they can share their story. So people can go and hear their stories that are just, they're incredible stories of resilience and grit and tenacity. And they're our neighbors. They're people we see in the grocery store and they don't have to be celebrity. I think sometimes we spend a little bit too much energy focused on celebrity in this country for motivation and inspiration. And I, hey, I'm a huge Oprah fan. Like she inspires the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. So I want to get inspired by Sally Smith who lives down the block. And I want to give more voice to the wonderful people around us who have you know, decided to live life differently. And that's really what my last bad day and the movement's going to be about is like, it's that day where you decide to live life differently. And what I hope is that you don't have to get hit by an SUV to, in order to get there. It's that like, hey, there's a different way and I am going to step into this and I'm going to live my life with more consciousness and, and gratitude and kindness and the values that they want to honor, which I think will be totally cool. And I think will make the planet just a better planet. That's beautiful. And I'm so glad you're still with us in this world, making this impact because the ripple effect is going to be amazing. And and I I really want to thank you for joining us today and, and sharing uh, just a small piece of your amazing life with our listeners. And I know they're going to benefit from a continuous con- connection with you. Uh, so um, I'm just really grateful. Thank you for being on the show. And as I like to close out the show, as my listeners know, I always love my guests to define what to you, how do you define what a badass is? A badass is someone who believes in themselves and doesn't care a flying F what other people have to say, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like that, it's that, it's that confidence is so sexy and they're going to like, they're going to do it. And even if they have some, maybe some hesitation within them, that courage that gets them past their fear. I think that is just filled with bad assness, <laughs> full assness. Right? So, <laughs> so I, I love that. I love meeting people like that. They're just like, all right, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do me. And the people out there, I'm not going to listen to them. Like, cause I have a purpose and I'm showing up today to change the lives of other people. Amazing, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate all your time. Thanks, Kareem. Thank you for joining me today. Before you move on to the next episode, please post a review or share this episode with someone you think 
would appreciate it. Your feedback and support mean everything to me. For more information, check out yourbadassjourney.com or kareenwalsh.com. I truly believe everyone is capable of living a badass life. Thank you for listening.